0: You are listening to the sassiest podcast in the world. Born in the Nordics, democratizing B2B SaaS knowledge everywhere. Hi, I'm Daniel. And I'm Thomas. And we are experienced SaaS professionals that are curious about how other successful SaaS companies go to market, scale, build winning teams, and great products. Join us on our journey as we speak to SaaS leaders trying to get hold of their secret sauce. And today's guest is Bastian Karweg, the group CEO
1: at Dealfront. The transition from an easy option to start into a more meaningful engagement with the customer that is now this blended approach is really where I think the future lies for B2B SaaS.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Sassiest Podcast. Happy to have you with us another time. And I hope that you are uh, will enjoy this no matter what you're doing right now. Maybe you're taking a run, maybe you are relaxing in the hammock, maybe you are commuting. That's actually a great question, Thomas. We should probably do a survey like,
2: you know, at what point in time or when during the day do you listen to the Sassiest Podcast? Yeah, we'd love to know. And you listen to Podcast Daniel, so when do you do that? Usually in the mornings. Okay. Usually in the morning. So I I drop off uh, kids uh, and then I try to squeeze in a little bit of listening, you know, between the workday starts. Sometimes during breakfast, sometimes during a walk. But I'm on my own then, so that's a good time for me to do it. What about you, Thomas?
0: Well, I used to do it while commuting Mm -hmm. to Malmö. I think I had, you know, 45 minutes door to door, so it was perfect, you could listen to an episode. Now I have one meter commute, (laughs) so uh, not so much listening there. Um, Sometimes I do it while uh, cleaning or doing the dishes or so, but to be honest, um, right now, I, I'm not listening that much to podcasts uh, for the moment. That's okay, too. That's okay. We, we still we still appreciate you. But speaking about listening, obviously, you guys
2: know that we just recently did uh, Sassiest Digital that produced a lot of great learnings, fantastic content. If you weren't there, haven't seen it, go to sassiest.com. You, you'll get to see some of the articles, and you'll also get some information about where to access videos and so on. But also, if you're still in the... Uh, curious face and want to learn more, we have an event coming up here very soon,
0: Thomas, in Amsterdam. Absolutely. So, we are bringing Sassius to Amsterdam, and with that, you know that you will get great content. We have a fantastic lineup of speakers, everything from international thought leaders like April Dunford and Aaron Ross. We have um, scouted many great leaders in the Benelux within sales, marketing, product customer success and people that you will meet there, also we are bringing some of our Nordic speakers down there and it's a full day Uh, besides all the sessions you get food and drinks and of course we have a party in the evening and we'll leave uh, sometimes after midnight maybe it's going to be an after party even after that so uh, yeah, it's going to be a great day of learning and to meet new people and um, network having fun and one thing um, today we're going to talk about arranged marriages I think (laughs) you and me it it was more more um, uh, not arranged but (laughs) this was real love yeah was this love as first sight would you say it was or it grew it grew into something
2: more well I I can only speak for (laughs) myself I don't know (laughs) maybe it took longer for you for me I will I will never forget it Uh, it was probably our first Business trip together. Yeah. Uh, And we sat on an airplane. I don't know if it was uh, to the meeting or or back home. Yeah. But then we pulled up our phones and started browsing, and we both ended up at TechCrunch, I believe. And then I had never met any other anybody else in Sweden that goes to TechCrunch, and I think you felt the
0: same. It was like we like, what's going on here? Uh-huh. We we ha- we have something in common. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to talk about the first time we met, but okay, the first time that we saw that we had a common interest and uh, and so on. But uh, all right, it's another kind of marriage that we're going to look at now, and uh, actually two companies coming together, uh, and I think. Um, Bastian that uh, we will talk They have a really interesting story to tell so let's go and meet him. Today we are super excited to have Bastian Kavek here, uh, the group CEO at DealFront, as a guest
1: in the Sassius podcast. So
0: welcome, Bastian.
1: Hi, Thomas. Hi, Daniel. Glad to be here.
0: Hey,
2: hey, Bastian. Great to have you here. And Thomas, I liked like you like you accelerated a little bit there in the opening. That's a new thing. <laughs> That's a new thing. A look at you reinventing yourself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, B- Bastian. Awesome to have you here. Thanks for joining the show. And. I think a lot of people know you in in our audience or know of you. But should there be somebody that doesn't know
1: Bastian? Tell us. Tell us what's the what's the short backstory. Who are you? Sure. Maybe I can start with telling you what Dealfront is, because that's quite a new brand. I heard that you guys had a. Kind of like a rebrand uh, also recently from SAS Nordics to SaaS, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was almost as big as Twitter going to X. It
2: <laughs> like, created so many opinions.
1: <laughs> yeah, but it's a great name. It's so much more international. Like, like for us, it's, it's a bit of a, a different setting, so I'll, I'll briefly catch you up on this. So, so I started a company called EchoBot. Um, it's a German company, started it in 2011 together with my co-founder, Janis, uh, and right around the same time, Pekka, a Finnish guy together with Herko and Wiesent, uh, two founders um, in Helsinki, he started a company called Leadfeeder. So given your international audience, I bet that many of you have heard about Leadfeeder and the website visitor identification tool that you can use for marketing to uncover leads from your homepage. Um, Echobot is more like a ZoomInfo version of um, a sales intelligence solution with a big contact and company database um, that is built for the European market. So this is uh, how we started and uh, then when during Covid times um, a lot of companies were looking to do digital sales, both our companies grew quite rapidly and we found ourselves pitching to the same uh, investor GHP, um, a Boston-based company, and um, they brought us together and then we merged and became DealFront.
2: Wow. All right. So look at this. So, so there was uh, an investor here that was the matchmaker that, that made the love happen here.
1: It's an arranged marriage, you could say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Kind> so, <of.
2: laughs> so you guys didn't have an, an interaction on this topic prior to GHP somehow introducing the topic.
1: No, actually, I was, um, so we had both individual interactions with various uh, investors while pitching them, Um, and then GHP, they looked for um, a company that that was slightly bigger from an ARR perspective than the 10-something million that we had back then, so um, I got a call back when I was skiing, actually, in in Austria. on the mountains, and uh, obviously you pick up the call as a founder if a (laughs) a investor calls you, no matter where you are. And they said, hey, listen, um, we have this great other company that's also pitching to us, uh, Pekka from Leadfeeder. Would you mind, like... um, taking a call with him and see if there's something there. We really believe that you guys fit together really well from a company perspective. We would love to see if this has legs. So I took the call from the mountain on the same evening after like showering and getting down from the slopes. Um, and it was supposed to be like a 30 minute conversation, but I believe it lasted like two hours. (laughs) That was a good sign. So we, we hit it off right away. Um, but we didn't like fall in love immediately, as you could say, like it wasn't like we, we, we took our time, we dated a bit, we brought the teams together for like three to four months and various workshops and really to really see whether this is, is working. And then we pitched the, the same investor together again uh, and then eventually got the deal.
0: Wow. Are we going to dive deeper into this arranged marriage in a little while, but also to dig deeper a little bit into your background? If I look here on your LinkedIn page, it's really, you know, founder, CEO, founder, 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 founder. So it seems like, <laughs> was this your kid's dream from the beginning when I, when I grow up, I'm, I'm going to, you know, start my own business. It's like you went, to, when you went to college, you went the founder course or <laughs> no,
1: actually, um, I, With my first venture, uh, it was a gaming company. Um, I didn't know anything about uh, entrepreneurship at all, so I just wanted computer games for free. Uh, and I thought if I build a website testing then they would send it to me. And they did. Um, but then they also wanted to spend, uh, like, run ad campaigns on the page. So I went went to my mom, and she had a business. She was a real estate agent back then. And I said, look, I have this €4,000 invoice that I need to send. Can you help me do that? And she was like, what? <laughs> that was, like, not something that she has associated with her son playing on the Internet. Like, right, right. that was an amount of money that didn't compute. So... Um, this was kind of like the start of like building this what is called portable gaming it's a it's a gaming network a german one for mobile mobile games and uh, playstation and nintendo stuff so this was really where i where i started a lot of community building a lot of if you could say it like unpaid labor by friends uh, students pupils helping me testing games getting them for free um but then eventually after i don't know like 10 years or so we sold the business um there's only so much computer games you can play in one lifetime. And we sold it to an ISP in, in Germany called Freenet. So are you saying you're not playing computer games anymore? Oh, I do. I do. I actually, <laughs> um, uh, there's a great game right now on, I believe it's also on PC, but Nintendo Switch. It's called It Takes Two. So if you haven't played that, I play this with my wife now. Um, okay. This is a good uh entry drug if you will to get the wives hooked on uh, a computer gun. so um, <laughs> all the founders do this like it's it's a great game awesome
2: awesome we're gonna have to look into that is that something maybe thomas and i can play or that's not a good idea
1: yeah like it's it's a like couple's therapy a little bit <laughs> yeah. honestly <like.
0: laughs> yeah we probably need that so maybe benefit from it yeah that's great <laughs> then we should definitely try it all right but going back to to deal front uh, before we sort of go into the
1: merger and so on who's your ideal customer nowadays? So we are looking to um, win sales and marketing people who want to grow their business particularly in the european markets so there's a lot of sales intelligence tools out there also like expensive ones like dnb or ZoomInfo, info but cheaper ones like Apollo, Lucia um, and Rocket reach or others, and um, we are kind of like playing in the in the middle there. So we have uh, firmographic data like uh, in the DNB case, but we also have a lot of contacts and uh, contact data and outreach options uh, like the Apollo and Lushas of the world. Um, but we pride ourselves in having the best coverage and best data for Europe, which is also GDPR compliant, because you know that there's many laws in Europe that... Uh, us-based approaches don't support and if businesses are looking into doing this compliantly then we are i would say their first choice gotcha
2: that makes a lot of sense and and looking into your own operations uh we'd love if you could share some numbers with us so like what can you tell us today about your arr levels how fast are you guys growing year over year if we start
1: there yeah for sure i mean um I don't unpack everything, but what I can tell you is definitely that we are currently 330 people. So yeah. um, we started when we did the merger in May 2022, um, the, the signed the papers. We started at like 120 folks each on each side. So put together, that was like 240 and we have hired uh, roughly 100 people since then, so taking us within a year to 330 people, which wow. in itself, it's quite a challenge, yeah, like this hyper growth. Um, But then uh, we were, both of us were above or slightly above 10 million in ARR when we joined and we have grown rapidly since. So before we merged, we, uh, during COVID times, I mentioned that already, uh, we had a lot of uh, strong demand and we grew like 70% annual uh, with like 20% margins or so. It was really crazy. Obviously, after the investor uh, put in a lot of money, we also like grew the operation and increased our cost quite a bit as you. Have heard from the headcount right um, so now we are currently uh, looking into uh, accelerating the, cr- the growth in other markets like um, different countries and yeah uh, not growing at 70 percent anymore but also uh, still feel very comfortable with our current growth levels
2: mm. so tell us a little bit about that like where are your customers mainly today i think you alluded a little bit to that so what what geos or regions do we find most of your customers and how many are those?
1: Yeah, so we, looking, we are looking at um, over 10,000 paying clients right now that use uh, our B2B SaaS subscription services. Um, and we have obviously very two, st- two very strong footholds. Like one is in the Nordics coming from the legacy lead feeder side yep. um, as a Nordic business. But then one is in the Dach market. So Germany, Austria and Switzerland coming from the EchoBot side. Um, And the interesting bit here is that the approaches were quite different. So Leadfeeder utilized the PLG approach with, like, lower entry points and then um, upsell and expansion models, Mm -hmm. Um, so roughly, like, 2, 3, 4K annual, Uh, whereas Echobot utilized an SLG approach. So we were much more into lead gen. We had higher um, ACVs, like 10, 15 grand a year, Um, and doing different... um, tactics with, with SDRs and AEs. So when we brought this together, this was really interesting because we think that we can utilize the best of both worlds and if you think about it, like Slack for example, they started as a pure play PLG business and after they were acquired by Salesforce, they now have like 700 sales reps or something. So they really know how to use the PLG playbook to drive a lot of inbound demand, but then um, siphon through and see what you can upsell and what you can use from an SLG perspective.
2: Yeah. It's really funny you say that because we see more and more companies realizing, or at least accepting the fact that PLG and SLG, they can coexist. Many times they should coexist. And we just had a conversation with a gentleman earlier yesterday. He said, My idols are Miro from the Netherlands. Like, you start off free, and before you
1: know it, you pay them 15,000 euros. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or Segment. Like, yeah. <laughs> everyone that is using Segment has uh, the problem that suddenly the usage is expanding because of all the automation plays and everything. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, this is really interesting that you you have the easy in but then you want to um, offer like also enterprise level services and um, compliance and everything and, and for these you have to like charge more money but the, the transition from um, an easy option to start into a more meaningful engagement with the customer that is now this blended approach is really where I think uh, the future lies for B2B SaaS.
2: Yeah, I think we really want to dig into that in, in just a moment. But just one last question, or maybe two on, on, on the numbers here. So what can you share with us about ownership structures and how much funds you've raised now as as this one new unified unit, so to say?
1: Yeah, I can I can tell you that both business, businesses were very lean, so we bootstrapped both companies, PECA, Leadfeeder, uh, me EchoBot, for many years. So this is not an overnight success. It's like ten years in the making, from 2011, 12 to now 2022 when the merger happened. And we have been very frugal and effective with our usage of money. So I believe Leadfeeder raised like 3 million, roughly. EchoBot raised 750K as a Series A, and that's all the funding that went into the business prior to that. but now, obviously, with a PE company joining two businesses, uh, the stakes get halved anyhow because we were roughly equal size. And then the PE, like the PE company also took a, a majority share uh, from the new um, business deal front, which is totally fine for us because we have um, the unfair advantage that uh, Great Hill Partners actually was one of the original investors in Zoom Info. Uh, and Derek, our chairman of the board, was the CEO of ZoomInfo before, so (laughs) we felt it was not only about the money that we made this decision um, but we we really see that it's a great partnership and they can um, elevate our game so much more and with a US perspective I mean US is always like two or 3 years ahead of Europe uh, we really feel that we can leverage what they have seen like a glimpse into the future if you will uh, to to operate in Europe much more efficiently now
0: gotcha all right so let's talk more about the merge and uh, the first thing how do you decide who's going to be ceo oh <laughs> interesting
1: <laughs> if you look at the, the video we recorded a, like a skit video uh, if you google um, dealfront merger or ecobot dealfront lead feeder Uh, you will find a video where we supposedly did a toy course or like rock, paper, scissors. (laughs) This is not what happened. (laughs) But um, yeah, actually, we we looked at each other and and explained how we see ourselves as founders and what we think our strengths are and what we like to do. And it turned out um, pretty quickly that I'm more in the marketing sales kind of role um, maybe a bit more on the finance side while Pekka is more on the product and operational side Um, I'm probably more outgoing and talkative than he is uh, so I like doing these things Podcasts and engagements. You can put me on a stage, give me a microphone, and I will have fun.
0: Yeah, we have tried to get him on the show several times, <laughs> and uh, we didn't <laughs> succeed. So no, actually, he did say yes a few times, but then it was postponed.
1: Okay, you, did, you didn't like him. You didn't like him. Or did he postpone it? <laughs> no, he uh, postponed. He did he postpone. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah maybe yeah. he was too busy doing the merge. No, probably. But he's, a gra- he's a great guy, and I love that he is so obsessed with the product and really dives deep into every aspect of it. Like, I have to give him kudos like what they have built with the plg motion like the efficiency uh, that is uh, that went into this is, is really astonishing growing like a global like the market leader in web visitor intelligence from finland i mean that is in itself uh, like an endeavor and and i i'm really happy that he from his own perspective then said hey let me care about the product this is what i do best and um um you you do this ceo job so this is how we agreed and, and what role did he get what, what, what is his official title he's chief product officer chief so product officer level, yeah
2: so i have to ask another question here um so do you have equal stake? so obviously you're the ceo operationally like it, it comes down to i guess if there needs to be a voting of some kind of somebody needs to you know split a, a tough decision it's going to come down to you i suppose but from an ownership perspective, does the ecobot versus the uh, former uh, lead feeder management team, do you still have the same stake?
1: Yeah, we have, as, as we were equal, almost to the letter, identical, like maybe half a million up or down uh, from an ARR perspective, yeah. uh, we also in the end uh, got a very, very similar share. But there's more founders like than just Pecker myself. There's uh, our CTOs, right? Um, and then also, I believe it's a bit about the governance. Um, that is what founders usually forget. So uh, you can have a share position, but then also there's um, rights for minority shareholders, for example, that you really need to negotiate if you have a PE firm join like your company and taking a majority stake because. For example, you don't want them to be able to like just get rid of you as the, as the CEO, as the founders, without like any obstacles. And these are hard negotiations. And it's about striking a balance between all of the interests. Uh, but doing this merge, th- this is actually easier because if you have three or more parties in the game, then you can find other options for consensus than just you and the investor.
2: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, I mean, some time has passed now since since the merger has been official like
1: what are you guys a year in or year and a half almost it was May 22 when we announced now it's September 23 yeah
2: so t- take us back to wherever you think is, is interesting for us to know what are, what are some of the critical moments in this merger exercise some of the things that you felt
1: like whoo I was uh tough not to crack but we cracked it and it was important <laughs> sure so um I'll give you a rundown of three or four points in time, which I think are uh, quite interesting. So the first is you have to truly believe from the bottom of your heart that this is a good idea. Like you have to like the people a lot. And I can tell you honestly that I've never met friendlier people than the Finnish guys. Like, I don't know what it is with Finns, but they just have such an... Nice uh, demeanor to them, so it's a, it's a sauna. The sauna keeps yeah. them warm. Like I have a sauna now too, so maybe that <laughs> that helped. Do you have a sauna at the office in Germany now? Not yet. We have a shower. The sauna is is something that is not yet there, but uh, maybe it's coming. I don't know. Yeah, I heard that there is more saunas in Finland than people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they will lend us one. No, the the point is you really have to get along. Because it's, it is it is funny uh, the, talking about this as an enranged marriage, but it's also true to some kind. You spend so much time together that if, if you don't believe that you can work with this person, even if there is uh, doubts in your head, then you should maybe reconsider. But this wasn't the case. So this was really important to get the teams aligned and everybody 100% commit to this. Um, that they like working with the other party and then also building a joint vision because, as I mentioned before, we have different ideas how to do business. We have different um, customers. Like Germans are much more formal. You need to send them letters sometimes still like or the invoices in, in, in snail mail. So just to give you an idea that uh, in, in Finland, you can change the trade register by logging in online, whereas in Germany, you have to sit at a notary for like six hours sometimes. <laughs> like Honestly, our, our merger, it took, like we went into the notary in the morning, like at eight or something after negotiating through the night, and we went out like 1 a.m. in the morning. So we spent a whole freaking day at the notary because there were so many different elements of this involved like a german company merging with a finnish company incorporating a us investor building like a pe structure on top of it so it was it was really interesting to let all of these people know that germany thinks work differently and this is how we need to do it so it it, it took a long time after we have decided to incorporate here so it's not the most founder friendly uh, country i would say from an operational perspective but also you get very much needed clarity so the contracts lay out everything very specifically in detail and then there's no unhandled questions or issues afterwards
2: yeah so I, i have a question i wanted to come back a little bit to what you said here just a few moments about the arranged marriage and you really have to commit to it you really need to believe that this is the people you want to hang out with and that you can do something great together. You mentioned here that you had workshops, the teams had workshops. Yes. How early in on this exercise was it? Because I'm trying to understand here, like, do you tell your management team, like, hey, we might merge with these guys, we might not, let's feel each other out. Like, how does a process like that look?
1: So um, you have obviously uh, an exclusive exclusivity period um, with an investor typically if you have um, figured out a term sheet. So what we did is we said okay um, both of us uh, after looking into different types of investors we really like the idea. We want to commit to this idea for like, let's say two months of exclusivity and we took these two months to uh, do I, th- I believe it was four or five workshops like two in person in call-through in Germany, two in Helsinki, Finland, and then some on and off conversations with the different teams on on Slack and then on on Microsoft Teams and Zoom. Uh, But obviously the founders like me and Pekka, we met much more often. We phoned a lot like almost every day trying to work through this to build a pitch together. So this was the first exercise that we would then after this period go back to the investor and say, okay, here's our like, pitch to you how we could join these companies together. Here's how we would do it. Like, here's what the vision the future looks like. Um, So this is, um, I I believe it was, like, four or five in-person meetings and then many more Zoom calls and a lot of sessions around, like, what the strategy would be, um, shared documents, uh, building a business plan, uh, getting to know each other's financials, obviously, and the operations and the team. So
2: Yeah. I think that's very interesting to hear because I can imagine now that uh, while it's very exciting, it's it could also be distracting, I suppose, a little bit because these folks have normal jobs and other, yeah, other responsibilities. We were raising
1: anyhow, right? Yeah. So we were all in the position of raising funding anyhow because the market was quite favorable at the time and we were growing a lot and we had so much inbound demand from investors that... This was a given anyhow. So uh, running this project was kind of like on the agenda already. But yes, you are right. Raising funding is always a distraction. And then the complications of incorporating another company into this mix is is more uh, effort. But it's also a reality check, right? Because for every problem that you face, you have two solutions now. Right. And you can choose and pick which who is doing it better. And you learn something. Even if we wouldn't have done the merger, we would have learned so much in terms of our own operation versus the other. Um, that I would believe that it it would have been great anyhow. Right. Um, Let me take you to the last one, um, because I said I gave you three points in time. So the first one was before, the other one was the funny story about sitting at a notary for an entire day. I don't want to do that anymore. But um, the third one is actually a year after. So we announced to our customers only DealFront the new branding in April 2023 right? Yep. So it took us an entire year of um, getting aligned, integrating the products, finding a new brand, building a marketing strategy, a website, running a new business, uh, joining the operations, like for example we switched our CRM to Salesforce and a lot of internal tooling had to be adapted. So this was, um, I never had thought that it was would take so much time um, to, to do this, so I underestimated it, like probably anybody who does it for the first time. Uh, But finally, in in April, we launched Dealfront as a new brand. And this was so important for the company because if we had chosen one over the other, like an identity or a brand, then I believe truly that half of the business maybe would have felt left behind, kind of, because then it would be like one gobbles up the other. And now we have a co-creation going on. So we picked a new name. We're building from from the ground up something together, and that really aligned the people behind the idea. Uh, but the true merger only happened in April, and then it got real, right? And then all the you could say problems started to happen when uh, all of this great plan that you had built out uh, going up to this date suddenly were, was faced with reality, and obviously not everything worked in the beginning quite as well, so uh, the, the real work only started after we announced, and we were thinking oh now we are done now we can start like getting back to normal but then uh, it really started so so my advice for anybody who's going through this just take whatever you reasonably think this will take in timing and then double it and that's probably more accurate pr and communication are the keys to building awareness for your company you want to make sure you reach the right people with the right message at the right time MyNewsDesk is a smart PR platform where you can manage all your communication efforts in one place. MyNewsDesk makes it easier for companies of all sizes to create awareness and build relations with the people that matter the most to you. Don't make PR harder than it needs to be. Visit mynewsdesk.com to start your free trial.
0: All right. What surprised you when, when sort of you went live with this? You mentioned that, you know, you had the plan in place, you decided on the branding, everything was yeah, now we're we're doing this. So what things didn't you
1: explain? For example, um, we leading up to this merger, we announced like many, many times to our customers this is coming, this is happening. We are going to get a new brand. Um, We did the big reveal. We invited everyone. We sent newsletters. We had the video messages, workshops, everything. And still we got a lot of invoices back asking, like, what is this? I have never heard of DealFront. (laughs) So you cannot over-communicate this. Like, this is another piece of advice. Like, I was really surprised how long it takes for, like, 10,000-plus customers to really, like, make time in their day to acknowledge that, oh, something happened. They have a new name now.
0: I mean... It's a big thing for you when when you rebrand, but for many others, it's something that you know they might not even see it
1: or, or think about it that much. So true,
0: yeah. So, but internally, was there anything internally that surprised you?
1: Yeah. So um, I believe internally, it's it's interesting to see how people react under stress. So you have uh, this this build up phase to to the launch was. Uh, now looking back, it was more like a honeymoon phase, right? We had uh, offsides bringing the bigger teams together. So before the merger happened, we, we just like brought the leadership together. But then everybody got to meet each other. Um, we started introducing these regular um, cross um, departmental groups where like marketing from Ecobot met marketing from Leadfeeder, and everyone like tried to commingle and and get an idea about what is now happening. Um, and then uh, this was like quite exciting and everybody was uh, having a great time but it was as I said like the honeymoon phase so after uh, then the launch happened you could really see okay some things are not working for example we introduced new pricing right and new pricing is always something that you need to do carefully but we've we switched from a two product kind of like organization we sold like a sales intelligence product lead feeder sold a, a web visitor product into a into a platform, we integrated it. So now you can, uh, we call it the flywheel. Now you can, as a customer, track who is on your website, derive what is your ICP, we will do an analysis, do B2B lookalikes, like who's using your product already, um, who is clicking on your website, here's a list of thousand new contacts and companies who you should reach out to, and then you do your marketing, and then we can capture them back uh, when they're going to your website. So in theory, this is a great platform, uh, but but selling a platform pitch and pitching this entire like flywheel thing is a totally different um, yeah, approach and pitch to the customer than somebody who is just looking, let's say, for a list of contacts in the UK or in Germany, right? Yeah. So um, we had to educate a lot, uh, which surprised uh, me, also uh, the customers around the idea of the platform. And then sometimes you have to also default back, for example, in the case of pricing. Um, when they don't really understand it. So what we what we did, as a you could say a mistake, we introduced platform pricing, so basic pro and premium plans like you do in SaaS, right? right. But um, this was trying to incorporate all of the aspects of the different products, we, which didn't work. So we have now uh, more use case-based pricing again, which you can then upgrade or expand into the platform play and save some money. So it's more of a land and expand approach now than um, everything together.
0: Yeah, that's what I was... Uh, I'm um, supposed to ask you here if you are always leading with the platform or if you lead with an old ecobot or lead filler, uh, pitch to, I mean, acquire the customer in the first place.
1: Yeah, I believe uh, you want to change everything if you do this. And the advice would be not to change too much because it's overwhelming, not only the customer, but all, also your team to learn new tools, new pricing, new branding all at the same time. So like stage these changes if you do this also um, as a listener uh, like over time so that people have time to adapt to them and, and not try to do everything at once. I believe that we, we wanted too much in too short amount of time and pricing is a good example where we reverted back to more use case-based pricing, still having the platform narrative as, a, as an offering um, in the back if someone wants to commit fully to all of the tools that we have to offer. Yeah.
0: So does everyone sell both solution or the whole platform or are they
1: specialized on one of the offerings? Obviously, everybody has their specialty. Everybody's able to sell the whole solution. Yeah. Um, we also have different qualities, for example. Like um, if you look at B2B data, it's it's very different in the US and in UK and in Germany and Europe and Finland. Um, for example, we rely a lot on trade register data and um, solid uh, compliant data where you can trace the source. We are not using our community for example where we scrape emails from your colleagues from your phone book or something like that what others do and um, this is uh, essentially something that others do but it's different in different markets right so the, the British company's house is different than the German Handelsregister and there's many others so it, the, it depends on um, the quality of the service and each product in e- each market. And this also has obviously an effect on what sales reps lead with, right? right? So if like the, the lead feeder, I track who is on your website pitch is quite easy to understand. You embed a script, five minutes later, you get a bunch of leads. But if you're leading with B2B data, then you have to take local considerations into account. Gotcha. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I'm, I'm
2: also curious about... Now you're merging two company and and you know si- similar vision because you went after similar type of customers similar size and so on. But there's one aspect here, like you know, one German company, one Finnish company. Was there a, a cultural clash here? Not just you know a-, a national cultural clash, but also
1: corporate culture. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean. I I wouldn't really call it a clash, but it it's definitely a, a big change. Like for starters, we were um, for the longest time before COVID in an office in Germany. Ninety percent of the people uh, on our staff were from around the area. We all were local, if you will. We came to the office every day and we met. And this was a very based uh, in cultural organization where lead feeder because um, i believe also if you run an international business from a small country like finland you have to go global from the from day one you have to start uh, talking in english you have to be open about like remote work and lead has mastered this they are so flexible in terms of the the work style and now i'm happy to announce that we have adopted this model also with dealfront like since a year ago that everybody doesn't need to go to the office anymore we have full flexibility we kept kept this very good notion uh, but for example we we switched to the english language and you wouldn't imagine how many people still um, in, even in, an, in a software environment, are uh, having trouble like talking in English and expressing themselves as confidently as they would in their own mother tongue. Mm. Because it's not about... They, all of them speak English, right? right? But if you're in a meeting and you want to convey a point and you want to make it very um, sticky or you're convinced that this is the right thing, but you're lacking the language skills to express yourself properly characters change people that have been bold before suddenly get timid others who have never like expressed themselves uh, as much suddenly start to shine because they are very good and very proficient in the English language so I've seen a lot of this um, thing happening and then also if you change your work style that you don't go to a meeting room but you have everything online um, and with zoom calls and so on uh, you do. You need to do business differently, right? You need to work differently and be more thorough about your own time management, for example. Um, and and this is also like a, a change for a lot of the people, specifically coming from the legacy Ecobot side into this merger. Right.
2: So uh, and on that note, also like you know, it's a little bit of a cliche, but just to make it easy to for everybody to understand, like you know, many SaaS companies they have their culture. It's it's written. They have some. Three to five leading words slapped on a wall somewhere. We are fast moving. We're happy. We are winners, whatever it is. Like, did you feel that when the companies merged, that you had to create a new culture identity for Dealfront? Or did you merge somehow the two that existed into one? What happened there?
1: Yeah, so definitely we built something together and we kept the best aspects of what we had as culture before. Um, but we packaged them into new words, right? So we have um, core values, like five core values. Uh, stretch to grow is one, or openness earns trust is another one. Um, and uh, we try to to embody in this, um, in this code, so to speak, the best aspects of what these companies have been about. But uh, it's not so much about the things you put on the wall, it's more of the process, right? You want to engage people into thinking about what type of companies do we want to be? And specifically, if you are coming from very different positions, different cultures, different backgrounds, how can we make something together that works for everyone?
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, looking at the product side then, I mean, did you merge the product organizations? Do you have one CTO or, or so leading the engineering team, one product owner or two product owners? What, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, so on a product side, I believe the product team was actually the first one we put together because we said, okay, we need to stop development on the legacy products and start building the platform first. Like that was the leading thing that we did for the, for the first year. Um, and then also from the engineering departments, we very quickly decided like uh, what the new platform would be built upon, like um, which cloud-based architecture we choose. And we decided that rather quickly. Um, in our case, we had the benefit that um, the, the business is very much heavily demanding data infrastructure. So we have data and applications. We now have AI as well. So we have a data science team on top of this. Uh, that we we established even even further. But data applications and AI come together. So my former CTO, Janis, he moved into the CDO, the chief data officer role, and catered about all the data sourcing, data processing, um, data um, preparation, and so on. Uh, while Herko, the CTO from LeadFeeders, uh, was keeping the application side of the systems running. So um, this is how we split up the the engineering teams. Um, and uh, some of the folks obviously switched like reporting lines. But overall, I think it was quite a, um, a successful exercise. Maybe we could have done it earlier. Um, I think we were building plans for quite some time. And then once we started doing that, we learned some things take forever. <laughs> so maybe we should have started earlier. But... Um, we had the benefit of of uh, being able to split that up rather well.
2: Yeah, very exciting. And again, earlier you mentioned here that, you know, two different companies with different sales motions or go-to-market motions, if you may. So can you tell us a little bit how you merged those if you did, like from just one being very sales-driven motion to one being very product-driven motion? Like what happened there when you bring these two together?
1: Yeah, so... Um Obviously, you don't want to break things. Like That's the first order of business. So what we decided very early on is that we would keep the legacy brands around. Um, so even while we are now deal front and we are advertising and selling deal front primarily, we still have the website. We still have the lead funnels. You can still go to leadfeeder.com and sign up for a free trial. Um, Because we wanted to keep this inbound channels flowing and also the brand recognition, you don't want to shut that off right away. So uh, this needs to be kept alive. Um, We had the the most interesting discussion around the smallest things. Like, for example, would you ask for a phone number in a lead form or not because if you're running a slg kind of like outbound motions with a bunch of sdrs you might want to collect that to be able to have another channel to 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 reach out but in a plg motion this drops heavily the conversion rate obviously right right (laughs) so we built we built a bunch of these different approaches and then we we went with a data-driven model and did some a b testing to see like uh, which ones work better but what really uh, moved the needle by the way that's another core value of ours move the needle um, because we want to focus on things that really uh, make a change um, we looked at attribution and where the visitors are coming from and then we we craft like using our own tech, we we know all the data we know all the customers and we craft like the the conversion um, channels or the conversion routes in a way so that it's catering to like the, the customer himself and wh- what he expects. And then if you come, for example, through the lead feeder site, maybe it's much easier and you don't have to fill out so many form fe- fields than if you come through a more like SLG demand model. All
0: right, so to try to summarize this a little bit. So in short, what are your three key lessons
1: that you can share with someone that will go through a merger process? <laughs> everything takes longer than expected so as I said double the time that you expect reasonably Um, be sure and keep an open mind and open mindset about uh, the other party like uh, you have two solutions to every problem and and try to put yourself into the other's shoes and learn and embrace how they have solved the business Uh, and then honestly have a strong vision of what a united product united brand united company in the end means for everyone and try to as a leader excite everyone behind this common goal and common vision Um, and then things probably work out well super and uh, if we look
0: a little bit here in the crystal ball two three years what, what is the future for dealfront
1: yeah, so there is different aspects of this. Obviously, we want to grow our business more internationally, become the leader um, in European go-to-market. So have all the contacts, companies, data, tools, applications to, for you as a B2B company to win business in any type of market, be it Germany, Finland, France, the UK even. Um, we're not fully competing with our entire products in the US but we have a very strong stance there also for the web visitor intelligence business so if you're from the US listening to this you can also try this out it works well in the US as uh, as well there Um, but we want to grow into like if you want if you will like unicorn status so um, above 100 million in AR that's kind of like the the financial goal and obviously we want to have fun along the way uh, along the way and have a great ride (laughs) (laughs) i like that you got to have some fun and 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 during this fun
2: exercise as you're growing like and we have a great audience here is there
1: anything that you would like to raise that anybody could help you with
2: like are you looking for something particular to support you in this fun growth journey
1: Sure. I mean, obviously, every business needs customers. So if if you feel as a listener that you uh, need more leads, you want to know who's visiting your website, you want to fast-track uh, funnels you want to get b2b lookalike alike audiences uh, delivered as a list to your sellers then this is something that we could help with and there is easy ways of trying it out um, sometimes also for free like 14 days or with a bunch of leads so uh, give it a try i mean that's the obvious pitch uh, but then also i believe knowledge sharing uh, across the community is is really important um, if all of you could stop posting on LinkedIn, though, that so that our posts get more attention, that would be also great. <laughs> so if we could arrange that, that would be. So you yeah. haven't cracked the LinkedIn algorithm <laughs> yet, huh? Who has? Tell me. And uh, no, but the point is that it's getting more crowded yeah. by the day, and I, I really feel that um, you can't really rely if, if this is your only growth channel. I mean, there's obviously some great content creators out there who who engage their audience as well, but like. If you want to scale a business, you need more than one channel and there is still the phone and there's still email and there's still like other ways of engaging than just LinkedIn. So um, I, I would strongly con- like, recommend that you look at the whole picture and of all the options that are out there.
0: Definitely. And lastly, we would like to ask you, is there anyone that you think we should try to get on the show here as a guest?
1: If you look at the big gorilla in the jungle in our industry, it would be Henry Schuck from ZoomInfo. Um, I heard that he's also very active on LinkedIn. So maybe you can then link him in this uh, post and then maybe he answers. Yeah. But the, the interesting thing is that he grew this to 1.2 or 1.3 billion in revenue ARR, which is like astonishing. And like, the, their stock got slammed like recently, but they are still growing so rapidly. So I take um, very much comfort being in the same industry um but what they, like 30 40 growth rates at their level of scale that's just insane and yeah. um, i i would love to also get a little bit competitor intel from you guys if you interview him how they <laughs> did it
0: absolutely Let, let's see if we can squeeze some secrets out of him that that could be useful for you so i uh, happy to do that and thank you for that tip and thank you for being a guest in the show really interesting to hear about your lessons and your journey here uh, merging these companies and uh Well, we'll see you around.
1: Thank you, Thomas. Thank you, Daniel. It was great fun. Thank you so much. It was our pleasure. Take care now. Take care, bye. So
0: Daniel, what's your key takeaway from this episode?
2: I think we've heard of uh, mergers that are tricky and become a little bit political and so on. And Bastian had many great things to say here, but one thing that I think is really important is that they came in as equals. They were somewhat already equals in terms of size and capacity and so on coming into this. But then when they sat down and tried to, you know, uh, share the responsibility, the roles, talk about the future, it was not one company, you know, deploying its ways of working on top of the other one. Uh, Because that would signal that, okay, we are greater than you guys. So here it was truly like, we're two equals. We sit down together, and we take the best from both, and then create a third type of version of these two great companies. I thought that was really important that, that he said that, uh, and that's the way I think personally that it needs to work for a merger to to feel good for everybody involved. How about that, Thomas, for a takeaway? It was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? Like, what are you bringing with you? into the weekend from this episode.
0: That you can't over communicate the rebranding. Mm. <laughs> so let's do some more LinkedIn posts and, uh, and so about <laughs> being the sassiest or being sassiest. So, uh, but a, lo- a lot of good learnings. And also I, I really like their approach and uh, sort of how he and Pekka sort of looked into what roles that they should be. right. Uh, most happy with moving forward. Yeah, and definitely. And,
2: and speaking about happy, uh, we love doing these these podcasts and these episodes. And again, if you have any ideas for guests or topics that we should address here that you feel like, guys, you haven't covered that enough, do let us know. Like, you know where to find us by, by now. Like, you know, you can email us, you can DM us on LinkedIn. We, we love to hear your, your thoughts on this. And if you like these episodes, we'd like to get that five-star rating Spotify or wherever it is you listen Like, we'd like to encourage you
0: to give us some good feedback and if you don't like it we'd also like to hear that honestly yeah but don't <laughs> give a, a rating somewhere that is bad <laughs> uh, and also I mean have you listened to an episode and that has led to you um, I mean making a change in your business or, or maybe you know taking some initiatives and so on we'd like to hear that as well you know uh, we live for those stories and, and hope that we can provide some value for you if you want to get more value and also share your knowledge with your peers there are several ways of doing that uh, one way is to join the sassiest slack community if you haven't already go to sassiest.com and, and uh, on the community tab you can find out how to join uh, if you are a vp or higher in uh, some kind of operational role at to be to be saas company above 2 million euro in arr you can join our executive network that is free but you need to comply to these requirements and we have nine different disciplines everything from sales marketing people finance partner, product engineering, customer success, and operations, and uh, you're much welcome. And if you're a CEO, we have the Sassiest CEO Network, and uh, there you both get to um, get feedback from peers in exactly the same situation as you are, B2B SaaS CEOs. And you get together and meet nine times a year, digital, a couple of times also in person. And then you get access to exclusive uh, sessions with great thought leaders and so on. So uh, if you're interested in that, you can find it also at sassius.com if you look under uh, communities. And uh, with that, want to thank you for listening this time. Hope to see you around. And we are here always. Contact at sassnordic.com, LinkedIn. Yeah, you know where to find us. <laughs>
2: All right, take care now.
0: Bye-bye.